Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Raptor Queens podcast, the first ever all-women podcast covering the Toronto Raptors. My name is Sarah Khalil, and I'm here with my other Queen of the North, Allison Hope. Hi, Allison. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everybody. It's Monday night. It's uh, mid-March. Everyone has the late winter blues. And normally we'd be excited about playoffs, but it's a little bit fraught this year. So let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, exactly. We are closing in on the end of the season, 68 games played, and the Raptors are currently sitting in the number nine spot, which is good enough for a play-in, but the Bulls, the Pacers, and the Wizards are all nipping at the Raptors' heels for the number nine and 10 spot. And, you know, the Raptors are in the middle of a road trip. They've won one of them and lost four of the last five games and coming up we're playing against denver followed by oklahoma city thunder then timberwolves and these are not going to be easy games so we're going to break down the last week and look forward to this upcoming week to really answer the question what do the raptors need to do to make the play-in slash playoffs we've got a mini segment on jeff down to doubton as promised on the last podcast and then our ever popular king of the north and joker of the week and joining us today is a very special guest who I am so excited to introduce. Listeners, please put your hands together to welcome Iman Adden, who is one Yay! of the very few <laughs> female sports journalists covering the NBA. She is a writer for Yahoo Sports Canada and Basketball News and one of the founders of the other all-woman podcast <laughs> covering the Raptors, Dishes and Dimes. And if you haven't checked them out, you absolutely should. They dish out cutting-edge analysis, juicy gossip, and unsolicited advice. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this is long overdue. I don't, it is. I don't know why we didn't do this before. So this is we great needed, to have you, Iman. We needed a Raptors Queen um, and Dishes and Dimes crossover sooner. Um, but you know what? Hopefully this brings some good vibes to the Toronto Raptors. This is probably what the team just needed. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, hey, I was actually just wanting to hear a little bit before we dive into the Raptors. Would you be able to share a little bit about your journey and how you've moved into, you know, professional sports coverage? Because it's just it doesn't happen all very often that women get to move into this, uh, you know, job. And I'm curious about how you did it. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, honestly, <laughs> it um, it started quite frankly, because I was a 16-year-old who uh, got a Twitter account <laughs> and, like, uh, and just and posted quite a bit. And, you know, the only things that I really cared about was like, I don't know, Beyonce and the Raptors. So um, most of my tweets are sort of geared towards that and, and the NBA in general. And um, just, you know, 16-year-olds have a lot of time on their hands. And so uh, just posting there a lot, I found, you know, a Raptors community. And granted, you know, I'm not 16 anymore. This was a long time ago. So in the last like what fifteen years for I'm not that not sixteen plus fifteen in the last thirteen years, um, it's been uh the, the community has just grown so much online and just getting to be a part of it in the early days I think just um I think has helped a lot but just being able to watch other. Uh, writers, other bloggers go from working on blogs to now, like Will Lou is, you know, on Sportsnet hosting a Raptor show, getting to to make relationships with those uh, people who are incredibly talented and were writing and we're talking about basketball at the same time when we were just all sort of kids in high school, um, I think has helped quite a bit. And then uh, doing what we've all done here, which is starting a podcast. That was sort of the big foray into testing my hand at the media. Uh, I tweeted a lot. I was a guest on a lot of different podcasts. I wrote a, a separate blog that I just sort of held on my own because I had some thoughts and ideas that I wanted to get out there. But I never really pursued anything serious until um, both of our pods really came together and started. That is so interesting to listen to. And and Dishes and Dimes, you're a credentialed podcast now, right? We are, yeah, which is like really cool. Um, Can you explain to our listeners what that means? Um, yeah, so that means that we um, get to uh, be, we're, we're part of the media, we get to be a part of scrums, which is like really, really cool thing that a podcast would be credentialed. Uh, I do believe we're the first one that was credentialed, which is like a, a really cool thing. And I think a testament to like 
what what we're all doing here, which is like women breaking in and sharing our voices and our opinions and proving that they matter. And, um, you know, getting to be in Toronto is a little bit easier for a lot of us here. Uh, so so I'm I'm really proud that us as a collective were able to do that and and get to be a credentialed media member for the Toronto Raptors and get to actually be a part of it. That's quite an accomplishment. Like you've done so very well. And I always love reading your tweets. It's always something, you you know, incisive and, and just well thought out. So it's a pleasure following you and it's a pleasure to have you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Congratulations on all of the success and accomplishment to you and also your fellow co-hosts. Um, just to see you, to see you featured on, on television, you or any of your, I think another one of your, um, Another one of your co-hosts was recently on NBA something or other. I can't remember. Anyway, it's yeah. really cool to see you on TV. Ah, thank you. Thank you. That's a pretty cool thing to do. <laughs> it always sort of takes me aback. I'm like, oh, my opinions? Oh, sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's pretty cool um, that it's something that we've been able to do. And uh, I love it for what it means for women in this area. Absolutely. Well, maybe as we talk today, you'll also be able to share some insight from, you know, behind the scenes when you're at the scrums and whatnot. We'll see if it see if it comes up. But that sounds really it, it sounds really cool. We're really happy to have you here and just uh, what, what an inspiration you are. So thank you for being yeah, on the podcast that. and sharing your story. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, um, okay, let's talk about something that is the opposite of inspirational. And that is the last <laughs> five games that the Raptors have played. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's my segue right here. So, um, you know, what do we have? We've got a loss against Washington, followed by a win against Washington in the back to back and then a loss against Denver, notwithstanding the fact that the Raptors played some actually very good basketball in that game, um, followed by a loss against L.A. Clippers and then a loss against the L.A. Lakers. So, Iman, I'm going to start with you. Uh, mm. What stood out to you about the last five games here? Ooh, um, a lot of losses. I think what sort of stood out to me was the fact that, and you mentioned it, they played really well in that Denver game. And I think the Lakers game is sort of um, is emblematic, the word I want to use, I think so, of what this entire uh, stretch has been for the Raptors, which is that the, they're two teams. They are two teams uh, right now, the way that the numbers sort of bear out. They're the starters, and then they're the non-starters. The Raptors' starting lineup, despite the fact that they've lost four out of the last five games, the Raptors' starting lineup has a plus 10 net rating. The Raptors' starting lineup plays a significant portion of these games, yet in the minutes where someone is out and you have, whether it be a hybrid lineup or the bench in there, it is absolutely disastrous for the Raptors. And I think that that's been the major problem here is with the addition of Jakob Pertl, you would think that the Raptors would have more depth. Also bringing in Will Barton, the Raptors would have more depth, right? So you're you're moving Gary to the bench now. You have Precious Achua coming off the bench. You have your real starters and you're thinking to yourself, that's a real bench that the Raptors have. Now they should be able to do something there. However, the numbers have not bared that out at all. The bench in the last five games has the 29th ranked defense and the 24th ranked offense. That is not good at all. Um, and, and so you're looking at a starters that has played 114 minutes, right? <laughs> Nick Nurse is playing the starters as much as he possibly can together um, because as soon as Jakob sits, the the uh, defense just falls. And um, unfortunately, like that's just been the case. It's not just like the team hasn't been good defensively throughout this entire run, but it stands reason to like look at the, the starting lineup's offensive rating and see that they're top four when it's just the starters and seeing that it's 29th when it's the bench. You know what the real issue is here is that you just can't get anything from your bench and when you can't get anything from those guys on the road you're going to lose more often than not and I think the Lakers game is a perfect example of that they destroyed the Lakers starter for starters and the Lakers bench just absolutely crushed the Raptors Hmm. well I think you nailed it when you said at the very beginning of your uh what you just said there your analysis you said there's the starters and then there's the non-starters you didn't even call them a bench you just called them (laughs) non-starters I think you were really apt to say it that way they're non-starters it's it's a non-starter that that bench lineup is yeah yeah that's that's a really good point Allison do you want to add to that I do just as far as what you said, Iman, about the mm-hmm. um, the minutes 
and there's been some criticism uh, by the broadcast crew about Pascal, um, his his play, especially on this road trip. And I think it's this is a function of the minutes he's played. I believe he's top three in minutes this year. And that effect has to be cumulative. I'm sure the guy's tired. I mean, notwithstanding a week off. So I, I think that's part of his struggle right now. Um as far as the road trip, that second Washington game, there we were almost at 500. And I had the feeling that we might be turning the corner. Um, the Denver game really hurt. And I'd actually give anything to know what Scotty said to get ejected from the game. And that particular game, the Raptors shot 50% from the field. And usually if a team hits 50%, they're going to win the game. But the problem was Denver did too. Uh, on this road trip, uh, I went back and looked. They allowed uh, an average of 117 points a game. And it's difficult to win when they were only scoring 108 points a game. And another observation, it's just shocking what a poor road team the Raptors have become. And um, thinking back to the Kyle Lowry years, we were always uh, – at or above 500 on the road. And this year we've only won 12 road games. I, I think part of that, I mean, playing in front of hostile crowds is difficult, especially for younger players. Um, and obviously requires some tenacity and the Raptors just don't seem to have developed that. Um, so those four losses um, on the road, we were hitting 46% from the field and 36% from three. So just on the broadly speaking, and we all know this, the offense isn't the problem. Um, I'm watching as opposing guards hunt out uh, and attack Fred off the dribble um, at, at that point. And we see this, it's very difficult to help defensively um, when the ball handler is going downhill. And I guess the counter, like the second line of defense is going to foul. Um, I guess the counter would be to put Gary Trent on the ball handler, but then that's going to leave Fred guarding like uh, a taller uh, two player, like a shooting guard. Um Opposing teams also go after Scotty off the dribble, but he uh, he's better at reading the angles now and keeping a ball handler in front of him. So those are definitely skills that have improved. Um, I think this team is way, way less than the sum of its parts defensively. I mean, you look, there's OG, Pascal, Fred, Jakob, Scotty, especially those first four, excellent above average defenders. Um but it's just difficult to watch opposing players just coast in for easy layups through basically through three layers of defense. And then after that, it's guys kind of looking at each other with their hands raised. It kind of reminds me of uh, LeBron after the, the J.R. Smith uh, clock management fiasco. But I mean, this is kind of every night. And I, th I think at some point you have to wonder if it's chemistry Um it's pretty clear from what Masai said post-deadline that there are going to be changes. Um, we know that, you know, this is this is a fairly solid foundation. Um, trades are, you know, trades, player acquisition, it, it obviously has to be uh, thought through very carefully. And some trades, look at, I just remember the Rudy Gay trade. That was to blow it all up. And what happened, I mean, that started the dominoes falling that led to a championship. So, you know, it's this is it's amazing alchemy, uh, you know, um, running a team and trying to make decisions for the roster in front of you. So, I mean, I should be negative. I, I'm not super hopeful. I mean, at this point right now, we're picking ninth um, in the draft. So there's always that to look forward to. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the play in, I guess, yeah. valuable reps. Let, let me, let me back up for a bit before we get into the play in for a second, because I think that um, <laughs> between the two of you, between the two of you, uh, you've identified some significant problems, right? We've got a bench problem. We've got, as you mentioned, there's just this defensive breakdown happening that doesn't seem to make sense given the roster of players that's actually, um, you know, on the, on the court. And then Allison, you're wondering about chemistry and, 
you know, just generally roster makeup seems to be what you've said. Um, so, okay. That's a heck of a lot of problems that potentially would need to be solved um, for, you know, securing a playoff spot versus even just winning from the play in and then winning a game. So like we, there's a lot of problems that need to be dealt with, but we were to just take a look specifically at the bench. Let's just, let's just focus on the bench for a second. Cause I think that was um, kind of like a very glaring issue. And then let's come back to defense. Um, where, uh, Iman, where do you think the bench problem comes from? Like why, why can't the bench get it together? What do you think's going on there? That's a really good question. I think, I think it's a, a, a few parts. Um, so I was talking to Oren about this today for for Yahoo Sports Canada, and one thing that he did mention that I think is going to be really important is, um, so, okay, so we were having a broader conversation about specialists in the NBA, right? So, um, and the idea is bench players today are better than they've ever been. You know, in the past, you could have um, a three-point specialist who can't defend at all or can't put the ball on the floor. And that'd be fine because his role is to come off the bench and just shoot threes. And in today's NBA, you have less and less of those guys. Guys who come off the bench are able to do multiple things. Whereas on the Raptors bench, you don't have so much of that. If you actually look up and down the roster on the bench, you don't. And the reason for that is because Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster aren't building a team for today. They're building a team for the future. And so the idea is, well, Gary's going to develop, you know, his on-ball reps and his playmaking reps. And you're, Precious Achua, we know what he can become, right? Like the sky is the limit with an athlete like Precious Achua and the skill set that he can develop. But as it stands right now, he can't really do those things. So I think when Precious is not doing his one skill set, <laughs> which is defending, um, it starts to look really bad. And when Gary, who I think had zero points in the Lakers game, can't hit a shot, but that's the main reason why you want him out there. It's not like he's a pick and roll ball handler. It's not like he's a particularly good defender. Um, he, he can't really, there's you you start to lose some of the, the main value that these guys bring. But I think that's also reason to be optimistic because I don't think any of us believe that Gary has just lost his shot, <laughs> right? Like it just seemed like a slump that he was having. And I think for Precious Achua, it's very clear that he's in a slump right now. This is probably the worst basketball that Precious has played in well over a year. Um, and, you know, to Oren's point and why I brought him up initially is because he mentioned something that I've sort of been throwing around in my head, which is how do these hybrid lineups work and how much can you play Jakob in, obviously you're not, you're not, putting Jakob on the bench or anything like that. He's still a starter, but can you pull him a little bit earlier to have Precious play with the starters? Because to, to Allison's point, the defense has really been an issue and it's going to be a real issue with Precious in there. Not because Precious isn't a fantastic defender, he is, but because he strug he has been struggling recently with him at the five. Um, because you can't ask him to be a rim protector if you don't really have any good point of attack defenders around him. So Fred is a step up from Gary. OG is obviously a step up from anybody there. So if you actually have those guys around him and you're putting pressures at the five, it, there's less holes for him to fill up. There's less uh, mistakes for him to clean up. And so he can probably be a little bit more maximized. And also Nick Nurse has mentioned and mentioned today that Christian Coloco is actually going to be back. And so could you see, and I don't know how this is mm. going to look, but could you see some minutes where Christian Coloco is actually playing the five and is your rim protector? And that way you can unleash a guy like Precious Achua out on the perimeter a little bit more. So I think just finding ways, especially because the bench is so incredibly young, to not hurt them by asking them to do too much, which maybe is what is being asked of Precious Achua right now, and possibly what's being asked of Gary Trent Jr., just being asked to sort of lift that, like we saw with Norman Powell, how different he played when he was with the starters versus with the bench, and I don't think that's necessarily true for Gary, because we've seen him really thrive in those roles. Um, I think it's just a slump for him right now, but I think there are different ways that Nick Nurse can sort of maximize this lineup by adding other guys in, but it's still going to be a little bit of growing pains because the bench is still incredibly young and there are going to be nights where precious is just not not ready and he's having a bad night and there will be nights where precious looks absolutely fantastic because that's just kind of what he does um so I, I think that it's just hybrid lineups trying to find ways to um to maximize what you get 
from the bench players that you have because they tend to have a particular skill set and maybe aren't as well-rounded because they're still so young and still developing. Iman, I really like what you said about where Masai and Bobby are assembling a bench with with the future in mind. That's Mm -hmm. absolutely key. And I think a lot of the fan base forgets that this is, you know, there's like probably a three to five year plan here. And did we really think that this was a final or a, a final four team this year in the playoffs? Like clearly we weren't that. Um, and I want to go back to something you said about Precious. And as good as a rim defender as he is, he's maybe better as an on-ball defender. He, for his size, yeah, he can probably defend down a couple positions, like on-ball. So I've huge Precious Achua fan. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the sky's the limit for him. I still can't believe we uh, we got him from Miami. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting, Christian. I, I was surprised at the beginning of the year that he wasn't um, down in the 905 more than he was. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he looks like when he comes back because uh, that's going to be sort of another dimension uh, that would add <laughs> some more length for sure. Um, so it, we'll have to see how that looks. I, you know, I'm I'm really hearing that just the gap between the starters and the bench, I guess I'll call them instead of non-starters, <laughs> um, is, is actually just really pronounced. Um, and there is a lot of development to be done. But I am curious about a couple things. Uh, so first of all, how much do you think it impacted the Raptors that Otto Porter Jr. was injured and is basically unavailable? Because he was supposed to be a veteran bench player that was, you know, there for shooting and all these things. Um, and like, if you, you know, did, was he was he a key piece in bridging that gap between the starters and the young guys? And then to follow up on that question, um, what do you think of the Will Barton trade and the impact that Will Barton's having? Um, either of you can answer. Iman, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I think the auto porter one is massive, actually. I, I I thought he was such a great get for the Raptors in the offseason. Um, what he was able to do for Golden State, uh, he's still only like what 29. <laughs> like, um uh so he he yeah, he's he's a 29-year-old that has some leg uh has some mileage on his well, on 20, his legs now. He's a veteran player with this yeah. team. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> he and he he is I he, he's a vet in the league. And uh, I think Honestly, I think he was probably didn't under didn't realize how many minutes he would be needed to play early on. Because if you remember those few games that he did play, he logged more minutes than I think he did for Golden State all year. Um, so the Raptors definitely needed him just because you needed a body for half of the year. But beyond that, I think if we, you ask most people what do the Raptors need, they'll tell you shooting, and uh, that's what he does. And it besides the veteran presence, which you mentioned, and that's I mean beyond accurate when you're looking at this bench and I don't want to say that the gap between them is too big because we saw Gary Trent Jr. is a a formidable member of the Raptors starters as well Um, but just having a veteran presence yes having the veteran presence is important but having a shooter is so important to what this team needs right Thaddeus Young is also the veteran presence there as well but I think having Otto would have unlocked a lot that this team just didn't get to have Um, and I think we'll Barton is going to be great. I think Will Barton kind of does. So one of my biggest issues with moving Gary to the bench earlier on in the season when the Raptors were talking about, you know, who do you start, Gary or Precious? Like, what do you what do you do there? What's the move? Because you need a five. Um, and I was opposed to Gary coming off the bench because to me, I think people see him as like, you know, your prototypical sixth man, right? The guy who can come off the bench and get hot and get a bunch of buckets. And yes, he has shown the ability to do that. But I see Gary, but I see the sixth man role, like the the Lou Williams, the Jamal Crawfords, that, you know, even Jordan Poole today or Tyler Hero, um, these guys who, you know, either had bench roles fairly recently or are still coming off the bench, they can play make. And they can handle the ball and they can kind of, they're not point guards, but they can take on those sort of secondary duties. 
And Gary Trent Jr. is not someone who has really been able to do that. And so I don't really see him. I've never really seen him in the Lou Will role. But someone who, again, is a guy like Will Barton, who's, yeah, not a point guard, but can do some some of those things. So I look at him as like, yeah, he's kind of the perfect guy because he is that sort of combo guard that you need. Um, and I don't want to limit Gary Trent Jr. He's still only, what, 23, 24 years old. Mm-hmm. He can develop into anything, right? He's just so good at what he does right now. Um that we sort of think of him as maybe a veteran in the league, but he's still a young and developing player. So I think, um, you know, sky's the limit for him as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I sort of look at Will Barton and think, yes, this is sort of the the type of player the Raptors need because everyone wants Scotty, of course, to get those on-ball reps with the bench. And I think with Will Barton there, he still can because Will Barton can play off ball and, you know, enjoys and probably prefers to play that way, um, but can still take on-ball reps when, there's still some things that Scotty has not developed into right now, right? Like getting into the teeth of the defense. I don't know that his handle is quite strong enough or he's confident enough to do that. We see him quite often just sort of operate from around the perimeter. So having a guy alongside him in those hybrid lineups, because quite often the secondary playmaker with uh, Scotty Barnes can't do that or, um, isn't a good enough shooter, but with Will Barton, you kind of have someone that can do both. So I think that that can unlock a lot. Um, And yeah, I I think that Otto Porter could have, but unfortunately that was never really seen. So hopefully Will Barton gets to do some stuff. Yeah, that just such a a bitter thing for Raptors fans. Shooting would have added uh, a whole other dimension that probably would have won us games. When you think of all the times we face zone and just shooting 20, I think there was a game we shot 28% from three. I mean, it would have unlocked some other options. Um, and I, I do like the Will Barton signing. Uh, I did hear a journalist from uh, Washington discussing his uh, skill set, and they felt that he was a net negative on defense. I've got to say, the, the little I've seen of him in a Raptors jersey, he certainly looked better than advertised in that role. Um, he brings a bit of size. Uh, I it it was kind of nice. It was surprising that he picked the Raptors. Um, yeah, so it, it's good to have him. And just going back to like the injury to uh, Otto Porter and then Precious, it just, you know, no injuries come at a good time for any team. But those were two particularly bad ones. The, the one for Precious that um, probably backed up his development a little bit. But the question wasn't about him. It was about Otto Porter, Porter and Will Barton. So... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So shooting. And then I I also just generally sense that bench creation is a challenge. And to your point, Iman, I don't think Gary by himself with the supporting cast of the rest of the bench is, is a creator. And so just getting secondary creation from your bench is something to look forward to, aspire to, let's say. Um, but okay, so we've identified some problems, we've identified some bench problems, we've identified some defensive breakdowns, some minutes issues with how much the starters are playing and maybe the impact that it's had on Siakam's recent performance. Put all of that together. We have a really tough stretch of games coming up, as I already mentioned. Um, so coming up is uh, Denver again, and then uh, Oklahoma City, Timberwolves, followed by Milwaukee Bucks. Okay, great. So what is it going to take for the Raptors to, let's even say, come out at 500 on these games and uh, get themselves into a play-in position? And also, is that desirable? Do you think that's a desirable thing for the Raptors to make the play-in? Allison, you go first. I think so. Um, I, I think it's I think it wasn't desirable in Tampa because that was always sort of seen as a wasted season. Um, but I I think you know you have Pascal Siakam who's twenty nine and he's going to be up for the or will be twenty nine in a month. Um, and is up for the supermax, and you have to make a decision on Fred VanVleet who is already twenty nine, and to have wasted two of their prime years. Um, I think it probably doesn't bode well for like keeping Pascal happy. Um, but also, um, I, I just think it's, I think it's a waste. I, I like, unless you can get the number four, like the, the chance of you jumping up that high in a draft to get a top, however many pick, um, to add to this team. And we see how long it takes to develop 
young guys, right? Like they don't come in ready made players. The, the chance that you're going to get the rookie of the year um, is probably fairly low. Um, so to do that again and to waste another year of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, to me signals um, distrust in what this court is. And if that's the case, then I don't understand why you would make a move for Jakob Pertl at the, at the deadline. To me, that sort of signifies belief in these guys and wanting to put the best players around them. I I wrote uh, about this for Yahoo Sports right after the trade deadline. And, you know, I kind of likened it to trading for Damari Carroll. I likened it to trading for PJ Tucker and Sergi Baca, right? You're recognizing the holes that the Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan teams had, which was defense on the perimeter, shooting, and things like that. And so you're saying, okay, we're going to bring in a stretch four. We're going to bring in a three and D wing. We're going to bring in these other guys that can mask uh, DeMar's deficiencies so that we give him a fair shot to prove that we can build around him. And if we can't build around him, then, okay, now we got to trade you because we tried to build around you. We gave you some years and it didn't work. They don't have years with Pascal and Fred. They have this stretch, right? Like, so so this is the time right now because they have major decisions to make on Jakob Pertl and Fred Van Vliet. And so uh, to me, it's, we are now, I, I didn't think it was fair to tear this team down until you gave them a center because it was very clear that it was a roster construction issue that was happening. Um, you know, to Allison's point, losing Precious Achua really, really hurt them. And it hurt them because they needed someone to play the five and he's still undersized to play the five. They needed a true center. We see what the difference is, right? Like I watch Precious set screens and I watch Jakob set screens and it looks like they're playing two different games. Like one screen is actually effective and the other one isn't. Um, so you needed a true center. And to me, um, you I I didn't I didn't understand why this front office would give up on this team until they gave them a shot. I've been calling for Jakob Pertl for forever, it seems like. And finally they made that move. And so I think you have to make the play and right. And like if the team doesn't, that's just because they're not good enough. And that then we have a whole host of other questions about what this team looks like in the offseason, what decisions does the front office have to make. But if they do, I don't think you should hold them back just so that you can bring a 19 year old into the fold and then spend the next five years developing them until they reach 24, 25, when they can finally start to enter uh, into what a good basketball player it is. That was very well said. You've completely convinced me. All right. <laughs> I'm in for the plan. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I, like yeah. it's, it's also, it's good reps. It's really great reps for Scotty. It's great reps for OG. Like a lot of this court is still really young. I think it's it's good uh, for Pascal and it's good to know what you have in these guys. Like you have a major decision with Pascal next year, which is the Supermax. Do you trust him and do you believe that you can do this around him? If so, then why tank? Why not, why not let him show you that he can be this guy? And if you don't, then what's your decision, you know, come next off season when you're staring down a major contract for him? Perfect. Um, uh, Allison, do you have anything to add to that? I'm, I'm ambivalent about the play-in. Um, those wouldn't be wasted. Uh, that wouldn't be a wasted experience for any of these young guys. Um, but we're in dire need of a backup point guard. So there's got to be some kind of quality. I mean, if if the draft was today, we'd be picking at nine. Um, there's got to be quality um somewhere in that that top 10 there and again i've said this like probably four or five times before look at the steals in the second um the second round of the draft nicole Jokic in second round i believe manu ginoli was second round i mean there is value out there it's just a matter of and i think desmond bain was picked uh after malachi flynn mm -hmm. so you know um whether we get to the plate or not, it's, it's sort of immaterial to me. I, I have the three to five year long view here. Okay. And so what do you think it will take to get into the plan? Well, I think you pretty clearly said it. They have to play 500 ball the rest of the way. And looking at the schedule, whoa, that's going to be exceedingly difficult. So you just, you're just, you're just not sure they can at all. Yeah, yeah, I I can't see them. Now, I had a feeling that Denver game, we had a chance to win that game because they tend to play up to the level of their competition at times. Um, 
but still, this is, I, I just looked ahead at the schedule. I mean, I'm sure you you guys both saw it. We finished with, in reverse order, uh, the last three or four games, uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Boston, Charlotte. Like, I mean, Charlotte's not hard, but, and you're, it doesn't get any easier. Basically, no. you just say like, it's just not going to happen. Not, I'm not optimistic in the in the short term, but I'm optimistic in the long term because yeah. I believe what Masai said, we will win again in Toronto. Okay. All right. And Iman, what about you? Do you think there's a chance? And if so, what does it take? I think there is. I look at the schedule and I do see the Milwaukee and the Bostons um, at the last three games, but I would have to imagine that those teams are not looking to win. I would imagine they'd have their sort of, uh, you know, Milwaukee's a game and a half up on Boston right now. So unless they're sort of in a duel for that one seed, I feel like they might, they might be, those might be games where they rest Um, players. We often see, uh, coaches do some stuff like that just right before the playoffs. So the Raptors might just get a little bit of schedule luck right there. Um, but that totally depends on what Joe Missoula and um, Mike Budenholzer want to do. We're currently in the ninth spot, a uh, half a game up from Chicago, who you already have tiebreaker against. Um, and you just need to make sure you win your tiebreaker against Washington. And I think you're looking at a good place as long as you have tiebreaker against those two teams. And if you know, luck falls your way, which most of the time, the one in the two seed don't really play the last few games. They don't go all out. There's no real need to. Um, so if, if that sort of stays the course and Milwaukee continues to win and Boston doesn't look like they can catch up to the one seed, then I think they're locked in at the two spot and they're probably resting their guys in the last games of the season. Hmm. Okay, so uh, go ahead. Potentially we could be playing Washington in the play-in. I must say, do you guys, you guys might be too young to remember um, the sweep at the hands of the Wizards in, I think it was 2014 or 2015. 2015. Yeah, oh, that was brutal. That broke my heart. I, yeah. I despise the Wizards after that. Me so a, a win against them would be gratifying. We we have exercised the demons. So the Raptors did beat them in 2017. So that was yes. great. I was happy that DeMar and Kyle got that win. But yeah, no, there there's some real sort of horror stories. And hey, if you played, I, I wouldn't want to play DeMar DeRozan in the play-in just because I feel like there's like some bad blood there anyway. So if there's any reason for him to want to go all out, It'll be tough. Like the Raptors have to play up to their potential. And I think when we look at the the last five games, what the Raptors have done is not play to their potential. And part of that is the fact that Gary Trent Jr. had zero points in a game. You can't have that. And Precious Achua was absolutely unplayable in certain games. And you can't have that. Um, and Pascal Siakam was, was kind of um, was not there in the way that you need him to be there. And so if your guys show up, because I think the talent is on this team, right? Mm-hmm. This is a very talented team. There's a reason why they were the five seed last year. The talent is there. Um, so it's up to them to prove that they're worthy of sticking together. Yes, nailed it. All right. Um, okay, I agree with you guys were excellent in your analysis today. So I don't have much to add on this. I'm going to just um, move on to a slightly different segment now because we promised our listeners we would do this last time and then we ran out of time because we were having too much fun with our guests and we can't repeat this broken promise. So we are going to uh, have a little interlude now to talk about Jeff Doughton um, and do a little mini segment on him. I know that he's not you know, featured prominently in this, in this season for the Raptors. Um, we are you know, edging on the conversation right now, skirting towards some future conversations. So I want to spend a little bit of time and kind of ask the question of whether Jeff Doughton has a future on this team um, and what it, what it might look like, the role that he might play. So Allison, I know you've put together a little bit of a background synopsis about him. So why don't I kick it over to you to tell our listeners about him and then we'll dive into some questions about it. Okay, so Jeff Doughton Jr. is 25 years old. He was born in Maryland. Um, he's 6'3", shoots right-handed. Um, he attended Rhode Island University and completed a degree in marketing. Um, at Rhode Island University, he averaged 31 minutes a game, 36% from three, uh, 3.7 assists a game, one steal, and 14 points. And kind of a familiar story um, for Raptors fans. He was undrafted in 2020. 
And subsequently, he signed um, a series of contracts with Orlando, Golden State, Milwaukee, and then um, their respective G League teams and, and signed a two-way with the Raptors this summer. Um, there's a lot I like about him. He certainly has the ability to probe into the paint with his dribble. And I know from what I read, he had a very high assist to turnover ratio in college. He's certainly not afraid to attack the rim. Um, I like the size he brings to the position. Um, but I mean, he was getting some minutes lately and it kind of reminds me of Justin Champagne and Juancho Hernan Gomez, kind of like these guys, Jeff Doughton is having a moment in Nick Nurse's rotations. I kind of wonder about his long-term prospects, but I did watch a couple 905 games and he was absolutely outstanding. And I think it's clear that he's way too good for the G League, but the question is, is he good enough for uh, the NBA roster, the Toronto roster? Thank you for that summary. And um, what is your answer to that question, Allison? Do you think that he is good enough for an NBA team? He is, but I suspect it won't be with the Raptors. I mean, when you look at uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez's minutes before Christmas, he was a steady part of the rotation. And then flip over to February and he's released like waved so but there are I differences think it's, in their games though right oh for sure for sure but this is kind of the pattern and I was a huge fan of Justin Champagne I really liked his game same thing he got run and then he was gone so um I, I think this is just an attempt to plug some holes in the roster I yeah I think he's good enough for the NBA but I'm just not sure it's going to be with with the Raptors as much as we need a point guard Interesting. Like, if not him, then who is kind of the question I'm thinking about for um, the point guard position? Because there's some things I really agree with what you've just said and his ability to actually penetrate off the dribble. dribble. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I I think comes across loud and clear in his game is is the fearlessness aspect that you mentioned. Like, he's very confident and calm um, in his game. And I don't know. I think that's the kind of, that's what you want from a guard position. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they'll, maybe he'll stick. I mean, I, I like his game, but I, yeah, I'm just, I'm not certain. Yvonne, what do you think? Uh, I'm honestly, as interesting to listen to that. I, I learned a lot about him, but um, I, I'm a fan of Jeff Doughton. I am. However, I, I kind of agree that I don't, think that he's long for this team and part of the the biggest reason I, I I like his size I like everything that you guys sort of mentioned um but he's what younger than maybe Yaka Pirtle only <laughs> on this team like he's younger than like the Yaks the the, the starters the Pascals the Fred Van Vliet's uh the veterans in Otto Porter and Thaddeus Young but outside of that he's older than everybody right like he's older than Odia mm -hmm. Noe. he's older than Gary Trent Jr he's older than all of the young guys when we talk about the Raptors bench and why a lot of them are projects is because they're so young and it's crazy to say that a 25 year old is too old in the NBA but uh he's older than Odia Noe by like you know um I just think that like in terms of the bench and sort of the develop the development there, him not being able to shoot the ball um, particularly well, I do agree. He plays with the fearlessness. I do agree. The Raptors need a point guard and his size there is great. Um, but I, I just sort of look at what the Raptors have spent a lot of their back end bench guys on has been developing young players don't always have to be super duper young, like Pascal and Fred were both 22, um, but they were 22 coming right into the NBA. And those are the sort of guys that the Raptors front office has kind of developed into being a, a basketball player, right? Like a Norm Powell also. Um, and I just, I feel like he's a little bit past that. So I, I don't know. I don't know that this team is really going to put their eggs in that basket. I feel like um he'll probably I, I think he's a good player and I hope that he finds a, a spot on a roster and in a rotation I just don't know if I believe it for the Raptors just because he's he's a little bit older than everybody hey guys speaking of another player that didn't stick with the Raptors but who made it um uh Ish Wainwright with uh yeah. Phoenix that was and that's a really nice backstory that he has it's it's good to see that you know he found a team and he's doing well but yeah 
Yeah. Raptors lost a good one there. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Both both of you can have those opinions and disagree. Um, you know, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I love that. Jeff. I love Doughton. I hope. I hope he stays with this team. He's he's always a lot of fun when he comes into the game. Yeah, and I'm not like a I'm not like a huge stan or anything like that. Like, oh, he has to be on the team. It's not like that. But um, you no, know, know. <laughs> it's more a matter of like there's a very clear gap in 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 the guard position, and if that can't be filled with um you know either a draft pick or a trade or something like that we we just just need one um so far i think he's shown more promise than some of the other names that were mentioned here um and you know like i don't want the raptors to be an ageist organization (laughs) (laughs) they they honestly have not been i will say I will say of any sort of front office or any sort of organization, they've probably been the least ageist. Um, they're the team that has drafted probably more 22-year-olds than anybody else. You know, 22 in the draft is like, people stay away from that. Like, they're like, oh no, basically senile in the NBA. But um, the Raptors have uh, drafted probably more 22-year-olds and understand the sort of value in getting a guy who's already a little bit older. Um, but still, I just, I don't know. That's that's okay. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you can be right, and I actually wouldn't be surprised to see the whole bench, you know, moved somewhere else, or I don't know, like roster construction and seeing what happens over the summer. It wouldn't surprise me if really anyone was moved around or didn't resign. So I'm very curious to see what will come from the summer. Um, okay, so let's let's have a slightly different conversation, still in the Raptors for a second here. Um, we are going to do our feature segment, which is our King of the North segment and our Joker of Jester of the Week segment. Um, so if any of you are not familiar with this segment, the King of the North is where we honor a player who we think has done really well, either this last week or in recent weeks since we last recorded, we want to just give them some props. And then the Jester of the Week can be one that was just like a want-want, like that really didn't work out this week or maybe a joke that was made and they just made us laugh so uh yeah that's that's what the segment is um and we'll just dive right into it allison who is your king of the north (laughs) i had to go with fred uh for his comments that resulted in a thirty thousand dollar fine and for anyone who didn't hear any of this he was critical of the referee um ben taylor and he had gotten his eighth tech of the year in that particular game against the Clippers. And interestingly, four of those techs have be- have come via Ben Taylor or the crew that he was with. So I'm not a big fan of the Raptors always whining about calls, especially when they're whining and they don't get back on defense and they, they uh, allow wide open uh, runs at the rim. But Fred is one of the more calm and measured guys in the league, I think. And I mean, criticism like this must have hit hard, and it certainly resonated with other stars in the league, Um, for instance, Marcus Smart. And so I I think Fred's not a jerk, and his comments about the officials power tripping and trying to take over the game are bang on. And, you know, it's it's hard to watch the flow of the game interrupted. So, yeah, good on on Fred. $30,000 well spent. King of the North. That's fabulous. That's exactly what I picked for the same reason. That's what I picked for the same oh, reason too. Are you and serious? Wait, you also, uh, yes, and also my Joker was going to be Marcus Mark because I thought that was so funny. <laughs> this has never happened before. We've never that's had hilarious. unanimity. Oh my god! And wow, now there's one king. That's so good. I, you know what? And like, I feel like it's really not just us. Like, I think he was speaking for so many players in the league who are just like, "What is going on with some of these technical calls? What is going on?" Like we this is not what fans are here for and i just think it's just fabulous that he caused such a caused such a stir and yeah. you know even even stephen a smith who i'm gonna be honest with you guys i hate that guy i can't yeah. stand listening to him talk because he just yells and i don't understand him but when he was like i agree with fred van fleet and i was like that's the smartest thing you've ever said my man <laughs> <laughs> It really is. It really is. But no, I, I think um, you, you sort of mentioned it and um, both of you guys were sort of were, were talking about this a little bit, which is Fred Lee is not someone who complains quite a bit. And actually, if you look at the game before that, where Scotty Barnes gets tossed out, um, 
I, I thought that that was a bad call. Didn't 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 think that you should toss a player out. Uh, a terrible off of a call. Single off of a single technical in the final seconds of a game. I thought that was ludicrous. And I also didn't think like we kind of know a little bit of what Scotty said. Um, you know, there's clips going around, and Scotty's talked about it uh, in post game uh, where he, you know, the the idea and what Scott Foster was sort of upset by. I'm alleged, alleging everything that I'm saying, I'm, I'm throwing allegedly right in front of, which is that Scotty said something along the lines of like, they're cheating, right? Like he's upset at calls. And Scotty, we know, is someone who is uh, complains quite a bit uh, and doesn't get back on defense always and is always in a ref's ear. And uh, I think Scott Foster sort of defended his action by being like, yeah, I, I can't listen to you bark all game. I'm going to toss you out of here finally, even though it was a terrible call in such an important moment of a game. But you compare that and you contrast it to Fred Van Vliet, who basically was just saying, let's not go back and forth over these calls. Like, <laughs> like let's just play through the BS, which is what Fred Van Vliet said. And he said it to his teammates and he gets a technical. And so it's like, what do referees actually want? Do you want players to continue to complain? Or do you want the team captain to say, hey guys, stop complaining. Let's just play through this. Like, yes, we think the calls are unfair. Like they're going to think the calls are unfair. You cannot get mad at them for thinking calls against them are unfair because, you know, LeBron James has never fouled anyone according to LeBron James, right? (laughs) Like that's just how players operate. And so I can't understand refs for tossing a guy out for complaining so much. Like if your justification is he won't leave me alone and continues to complain about these calls. Um, And then you're also going to complain that Fred Van Vliet um, is telling his players to just let's play through this. Like, yes, they're calling these unfair calls against us, but we got to play through it. Um, What, what do you actually want from players and what do you want a team captain to do when he's on the court? So I just thought that was like ridiculous. And to Scotty, you know, saying that they're, they're cheating when you're talking about Scott Foster being on the court and all of the uh, ongoing, uh, I won't say ongoing, but all of the allegations that have been thrown at him over the years uh, is a lot, but yeah, it was, it, it was an interesting week for Raptors and referees. Well, and like, yeah, just crown crown king, uh, king king Freddie over there. So that that's awesome. I love that we all agreed. I can't believe that happened. First time for everything, and I love that it was this one as well. Now, are we <laughs> gonna agree on the next one too? It's oh my- possible. It's possible. So we've got Jester. Oh wait, no, because Iman, you already said that. I said it was Marcus Smart. Yeah, <laughs> Marcus Smart. Okay, so I didn't pick Marcus Smart, so it won't be anonymous. But Allison, what did you pick? I picked Jakob Pertl for missing his two free throws down the stretch in Denver. And this is probably going to generate a, a, a new take on the old hack a shack strategy. It would be hack a yak now. So yeah, missed two key free throws. Okay. Um, all right. All right. Well, I went in a totally different direction. So we have the, we have, actually nothing in common the three of us uh i picked og ananobi for his staples commercial oh my god love it it. which i honestly thought was really bad i'm sorry to say that i did not think it was good at all oh i you know i think he has such a sardonic wit i think he's laughing at us while we while we're laughing because we think it's funny he's laughing at us yeah no, I, I would completely agree with that. OG seems to just be on another level. And it's hilarious. It's 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 funny. Yeah. No, so I, you don't think he should win an Oscar for that? Well, like, no. <laughs> I, I thought there were lots of, like, cute little moments. Like, the like the blazer that he was wearing had, like, his number on the back of it. And, you know, this guy's trying to hug him. He's like, don't be weird. And, like, all this stuff. And I was like, <laughs> it's so funny, but it's also terrible. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Expansion no, baby. What's that? Expansion baby. Yeah, you mean like he's branching out into like other other interests? <laughs> yeah. I I thought it was quite funny, but I, I think the bar for me, um, my sense of humor is clearly quite low. Oh, same. Oh man. I I love OG. He cracks me up. Okay, uh let's wrap up our podcast with one final quick fire question so to speak um you know we there's there's frequently the word the that gets thrown into um these types of questions as a superlative so the question is basically the most underrated player in the league or the most overrated player in the league but the who cares let's just pick a underrated player in the league or a overrated player in the league who do you think it might be it's a little bit of fun allison who did you pick it's always fun disparaging other teams. 
So I went with Gordon Hayward, um, $30 million, averaging 14 points a game and entirely unlikable off the court for many other reasons. So yeah, Gordon Hayward, overrated. <laughs> overrated and entirely unlikable. That should be a quote. <laughs> I love that one. Okay, and did you pick an underrated player? I, I did. I went with Des- Desmond Bain. Um, it's second year player, uh, again, picked one pick after Malachi Flynn, um, making 2 million this year. And he's under contract until 2024, 2025, 5.7 million at the end, averaging 21 points, five rebounds and four assists and almost 43% from three. He's a really fun player. Um, I I wonder if he'll be an all-star down the road. So I, I think he's, he's underrated. Okay. Fabulous. Um, Iman, do you want to go next or would you like me to go? Sorry, I was muted. You can go ahead. You can go ahead. Okay. Um, okay, so I can never remember, Allison, if I tell you things offline or on the podcast. So this is a bit of a story um, that maybe our listeners have heard before, but Iman, I doubt that you have. So I was in Ontario last year, and this kid on the street who must have been 14 uh, just starts talking to me about basketball totally randomly. He's like, who's your favorite all-time player? What's going on? I'm like, well, who's yours? And he goes, Lonzo Ball. And I was like, really? Like of all time? And he says, yeah, he's better than Kobe. And I was like, I can't talk to you, kid. I don't even know what to say. So uh, in honor of this kid, I'm going to say that the most overrated player is Lonzo Ball. Um, or a overrated player is Lonzo oh, no. Ball. Like, he's fine. But like, no, not greatest of all time. <laughs> and then for my, uh, you know, uh, underrated player, I picked Malcolm Brogdon from Boston. You know, I know he's a six-man candidate, so maybe that's wrong to call him underrated. But I just think that his contribution to the Boston success, Boston Celtics' success this year, is like critical and important. And Boston's having a really good year. He's not even, you know, starting lineup. He's just, he's just he's just really good. So I picked him. Yeah, those those are good picks. He's he's been great with them. I wonder why he left Indiana. Yeah, I don't know. There were rumors that the Raptors wanted him, and unfortunately, he picked Boston, which, understandable, you know, they made the finals last year, and the Raptors uh, lost in the first round, but uh, how great he would have been on this team. Mm-hmm. I know, he would have been, like, that perfect bench player that could Oh, have he would have solved. fit in Yeah, uh, all of their problems. If they have Jakob Pertl and Malcolm Brogdon, we're talking about this team in such a different light. Exactly, exactly. So, props to that guy. Okay, what about you, Iman? Uh, yeah, so my my um most overrated player is actually a player I like, but I just thought, I don't know if you guys saw this, the comments that Kyle Kuzma had on his teammate Bradley Beal. I like Bradley Beal. We talked about 2015. It scarred me too. That sweep has still scarred me, and Bradley Beal was uh, a major reason for why. So he's a good player. Um, And, you know, the Raptors have played the Wizards and are going to play the Wizards again. And so we know that he's a major player, but, I mean, Kyle Kuzma's lit, lit us up. Uh, Chris Altsworthingus is now there. So they sort of have something going. And um, they were asked why, you know, they, they've got these three players that they're sort of working off of, but why in the fourth quarter their offense just becomes too predictable because they started to lose games a lot in the fourth quarter. And, you know, after a game, Kuzma was asked why. And his response was, a lot of times we have the ball in the fourth and it's in, oh, yeah. and it's Brad's ball. It's his time in the fourth and it's, his team so we just live and die by it and it's cool whatever happens you just live with it and I thought that was so scathing I saw that right and I I I was so shocked when I saw it and it still sort of rattled around in my mind um and you know their fourth quarter offensive rating is not terrible um but it says something when you know you're a key player on your team a a a your second best offensive player because Chris Aspersingas is never available um, is basically saying, Hey, you know, the reason why our offense is so predictable is because we're sort of living and dying by this guy. And Hey, they die more often than they live considering their record is a losing one. So I just thought that that was incredibly scathing and says a lot about a guy who is after all the fourth highest player in the league only behind Stephen Curry, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron James. So I think if you're in categories with, yes, a lot of people have thoughts on Russell Westbrook, but he's still a former MVP, and you're Bradley Beal and you're up there, and yet your team has a losing record, and your teammates are saying that about you, who, you know, 
are, are helping you win those first three quarters. But in the fourth quarter, that happens. I just think that like, yeah, when we talk, wait, that's overrated. Yeah. So when we're talking about some guy who's overrated, I'm talking about the fourth highest player who teammates are basically saying he's the reason why we're losing these games late, which I, I thought was scathing. That's super harsh. I love that you told that story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was a yeah. very well put together argument. I saw what you did there. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and then my most uh, underrated player, I mean, I'll always just sort of say Alfred Changun of the Houston Rockets. He's just so much fun to watch. He's only 20 years old. He is, you know, a second year player and has just been a, a joy and a treat to watch. Their team is not very good, <laughs> but he's always a bright spot. He's so good. And every time I watch him play, I'm just like, because, you know, it's far and few between that I'm checking into Houston Rockets games. But every time I do, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, this kid is going to be so good as he continues. I was just looking at his like numbers. We're talking to a guy who has had two triple doubles before his 21st birthday. <laughs> <laughs> had two triple doubles before his 20th birthday um you know he's had you know he scored over 35 points multiple times he's had over 19 rebounds over 11 assists and we're talking about a center this is a giant guy so uh yeah he's just fun to watch if anyone wants to check in a houston rockets game probably don't but if you have to just look for alfred shangu he's fun it's it is difficult I, I i must confess i don't watch a lot of uh western conference games so i think yeah. a lot of my assessments are skewed to the east unfortunately it's just you know and sarah it's maybe uh, opposite for you a little bit no it's not i yeah no don't worry <laughs> That's, it's the same it's the same uh, on it i think part of it yes it's like time zones but i do think part of it is also when you're when your favorite team is one in the East and you're so concerned with the standings and where they fit and who they play against and what the playoffs are going to look like, I feel like most people who are fans of a team in the East care about the East a little bit more and people who are fans of the West care about there a little bit more. Like I, most of my attention is always spent on the Eastern Conference, but there've just been some fun young teams out West that you just got to check out every once in a while because they've been so bad that they've just had high draft picks and some guys have really hit. <laughs> Hey guys, I have to ask, did anybody watch that uh, Boston uh, Knicks game last week that went into overtime? Holy smokes, was that a good game? That Oh, yes. You watched it? Yeah, I was actually going to mention Julius Randle. Yes, oh. that was, it was so much fun. I was uh, I, I was actually out, and this is how obsessive of a basketball I was. I was out because it was the weekend, and I just grabbed my phone and just started watching it on my phone, tuning out everybody around me because <laughs> it was it was so good. It was so good. I caught the fourth quarter uh, into overtime, uh, double overtime. Was it? I just I watched every yeah. second of that, and it was it was so exciting. Um, Emmanuel quickly, so much fun. Yes. Oh. Um, he's, he might, he might, he might've been it. You know what? We basically have the same name. He just added a UEL at the end of it. So I should have <laughs> picked him for my most underrated player. But, you know, I'm so happy for Julius Randle because he got so much heat. I, he played yeah. so well in that contract year. And then the fans were like on him last year. I'm like so happy to see him and I'm happy for Jalen Brunson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wish the Raptors were doing that well, but anyway, yeah, that was a great game. Yeah, no, completely, completely agree. I don't think the Raptors are like, like the Knicks highs have obviously been higher and they've had more win streaks. But the reason why the Raptors have beaten the Knicks more often than not is because I, I don't know that there's a huge gap talent-wise between these two teams. In fact, I like, like the Raptors more than I like the Knicks moving forward. It's just, can your guys be healthy and mm -hmm. can they all sort of operate at the same time. Like if Gary can be a real bench player, if Precious Achua can be a real bench player, I think you have a really good team looking forward for the Raptors. It might not be this season, but it can be there moving forward. And I think that like, that's something to be excited by. Yeah, that's a good positive note. I, I am optimistic about the future. Yeah, like who do they have that's like a Scotty Barnes, you know? Like Fred Van Vliet has been better than Jalen Brunson except for this year, right? Like just in terms of their overall careers, they're similar players, they're undersized guys who sort of are gritty on one end and can shoot the three on the other. Fred's shot has disappeared, but I just can't imagine a 40% career three-point shooter has just forgotten how to shoot all of a sudden. So I think this is just a down year for him. Hopefully he rebounds a little bit there. I think Pascal Siakam is a better player than Julius Randle. They both sort of had their dips. What Julius does right now that Pascal can't do is shoot the three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
um, is something that I'm going to need Pascal to be able to do, but he's better defensively, I think, than Julius Randle. Um, and, and he has, I, even his lows were not nearly as bad as Julius Randle's lows. I think that Pascal's an overall better player there. Uh, they don't have a Scotty Barnes. They don't have an OG Ananobi. So even still looking at this team, I think there's no reason why you can't look at what the Knicks have done and say, if we're healthy and we don't have whatever locker room issues and whatever you know, other injuries and all this other stuff, if we don't have all of the drama that surrounded us this year, there's no reason to believe that we can't project to be better than the Knicks because we were last year, not just better than the Knicks last year, but we were better than they are this year, right? Like Dodgers last season was better than whatever the Knicks are doing right now. And so there's no reason to believe that you can't be closer to what you were last year than what you are this year. Oh. For sure. I, I think it just came to mind because it was just... No, no, no. Totally fair. I just wanted to be optimistic. I feel like people are so yeah. dumb about this team. I just wanted to infuse a little bit of optimism. Yeah, no, this is... this is. I, I feel the same way. Like, three to five years, we're going to be... We're going to be top four team. I'm confident of that. I trust in Masai. Yeah. Honestly, you two, I could listen to you, the two of you just talk basketball for hours. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> such a pleasure to have it's you... Fun. Iman here. Um, do you have anything you want to promote before we wrap up? Uh, yes, Additions and Dimes. We'll be back after hiatus. I, uh, of course, uh, took some time, personal reasons. Um, but yeah, so I, I had to take some time. Sandy, uh, a more positive note outside of myself, uh, just had a baby. So she's getting back into it. And so we will be coming out with a new episode. And we're looking to um, really start to, to throw a lot of stuff out there. I'm actually working on this cool um different thing taking dishes and times in a different direction so that's a big project that i have as an undertaking but look out for that because we're excited to start releasing that at the end of march amazing excellent so, we will yeah. to you. uh if you guys want to follow it's at dishes and dimes that's where you're going to be following and all your, your podcasts available everywhere podcasts can be found yes excellent I assume that means Apple and Spotify and all those other places. Same places you find our podcast, you can find their podcast. So yeah. that's fabulous. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been just so fabulous. Allison, uh, you know the drill. Stay Raptors fans, right? Yep. We the North. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.